Today on CityCast Pittsburgh. Last week in Garfield, law enforcement killed William Hardison Jr. after a six and a half hour standoff with a lot of gunfire on both sides. He was allegedly staying illegally in what had been his family home before it was sold to a local LLC. And it got us thinking just how common are corporate home buyers here in Pittsburgh? And what does it mean for housing in our community? CityCast Pittsburgh lead producer Mallory Falk is here to help. It's Wednesday, August 30th. I'm Megan Harris, and here's what Pittsburgh is talking about. So, Mallory, hello. Hello. This situation in Garfield last week started so many conversations in the city, even among our team, about a lot of different topics, um, but specifically housing here in Pittsburgh. Mm -hmm. And then just a few days later, um, you brought it up that this group put together a study about how corporate buyers are influencing the city. I know you've been digging into it for the last couple of days. What do we need to know? Sure. And I want to start off here by saying, you know, we're still learning more details about what happened in Garfield. We know that the house William Hardison was living in um, was once owned by his brother who died in 2021. At Mm -hmm. some point, Hardison started living there. Um, Mortgage payments stopped after the brother died. The house went into foreclosure. And then earlier this year, Hardison's father sold the house to a company called 907 East Street LLC for $25,000. According to several local news outlets, that LLC has the same mailing address as a separate company that's known for fixing up and flipping houses. Yeah. Um, But, you know, at this point, we don't know how Hardison's father got connected to 907 East Street, like how this specific sale came to pass. So I want to be clear that we're bringing up the situation in Garfield because it's top of mind for folks right now. Like you said, it's triggered these conversations about housing in Pittsburgh. And then this study happened to come out at the same time. It sounds like purely coincidentally. But really, we're talking more broadly about corporate buyers and not making any specific claims about this one company because we just don't know all those details yet. Right. I'm glad you said all that. Excellent disclaimer. Um, So this study, it's by the Pittsburgh Community Investment Group. They're a local nonprofit. I saw very little about it, but it tracked home sales in the city and county over the last decade and that some corporations and investors have been buying a lot of property here during that period. Exactly. Like a quarter of all home sales in the city in 2021 um, and about one fifth of sales in the rest of the county. That is so many more than I thought it would be. Yeah. And it's I mean, it's up from like a decade ago. Um, It's almost 10 percent higher for the county and 15.5 percent higher for the city. Um, And just to get like a little more specific here, the study was looking at properties with one to four units. So everything from single family homes up to fourplexes. Like, I expected that it was a lot, like, just because you see those We Buy Homes signs everywhere. Mm -hmm. And so much of the discourse about housing in the U.S. these days has to do with, like, how a small number of people and businesses own so much of the property. Um, But this is still way more than I thought it would be. But I guess just because they buy it doesn't mean they hoard it or does it? I don't actually know. So first of all, I want to say we're going to come back to those We Buy Houses signs. Oh, okay. (laughs) Um, 
But yeah, you know, some buyers, they're kind of quickly buying the home and then reselling it right away to a flipper or flipping it themselves. But if they do keep the properties that they buy, um, there are studies that show that corporate landlords are more likely to raise rents, evict tenants, and neglect their properties than traditional landlords. Um, None of which is great. Nope. And then, you know, this just also makes it harder for normal people, especially first-time homebuyers, to purchase homes because there's a limited number of properties for sale, right? And these corporate entities are snapping up more and more of them, taking more of them off the market. Um, And according to this study over the past decade, they paid an average of $75,000 for these properties. Like for each property? Yeah, yeah. And that's not a lot. Like you and I just bought homes within the last calendar year. I'm going to safely say we both paid a lot more than that for, I don't, I mean, I I don't like it. (laughs) Right. Well, I mean, so what the study's author said is that that's like a very low sale price and can indicate that these corporate buyers are buying up like smaller, more affordable units. Um, And so especially for lower income folks who are looking to buy a house for the first time and try to build up some generational wealth, you know, there's like a huge wealth gap in this country. If corporations are coming in and grabbing those lower priced properties, then then that goal is further out of reach for a lot of folks in Pittsburgh. If it's mostly in lower income neighborhoods or at least properties that would be most attractive, does that mean that it's happening everywhere indiscriminately in the city or like specific neighborhoods? Yeah. So according to the study, a lot of these corporate purchases are concentrated in census tracts that have historically had black residents or residents with low and moderate incomes. So in the city, then that would be what, like Larimer, Lincoln Leamington, Homewood, I mean, maybe historically East Liberty. I feel like I see those signs everywhere in the West End. Yeah, exactly. Those are some of the neighborhoods that got listed in this study. And then also the South Hills. So like Arlington, Knoxville, Mount Oliver. Um, And then interestingly, some portions of Oakland, too, which, you know, the study noted has a really high population of students. So that's kind of like a different. Yeah, yeah. And we've heard so many conversations over the years about, you know, our landlords taking care of properties there the way they should be. We'll save that for a future show. Uh And so are the corporations, developers, investors, are they just able to pay more for the properties, like outbid people? Interestingly, no, um, at least according to this study. And, you know, one of the big questions that I think the situation in Garfield raised was how a company could buy this Hardison house for just $25,000. I mean, like I just looked on Zillow and there's a 2000 square foot vacant lot for sale in Garfield right now for more than that. And oh, so, man. yeah, this study I thought was pretty illuminating because it found that on average corporate buyers paid just 70% of the average sale price for these properties. Um, and that's because they can often just like pay up front with cash or they know some techniques to make them more attractive buyers and end up getting better deals, which again, makes it harder for just first time yeah. home buyers. Yeah. <laughs> Sounding unfortunately familiar. Do we know how Pittsburgh compares then to other cities? Yeah, so this is definitely a national issue. It's not just happening here in Pittsburgh. Um, This study pointed to data from Redfin, the national brokerage firm that found investors bought a record 18.4% of houses that were sold in the U.S. in the fourth quarter of 2021. And, you know, that can include some of these larger companies that are just snapping up a ton of properties and also smaller local owners who may just have one or two properties. So it's kind of a catch-all, but, you know, that number is on the rise. Yeah. 
And in terms of like where Pittsburgh ranks, according to the New York Times, this trend is really taking off in the Sun Belt. So in cities like Charlotte, Atlanta, Las Vegas, and Phoenix. Um, in Charlotte and Atlanta, investors bought more than 30% of homes that were sold Whoa. during that quarter, which is a wild statistic. Um, so Pittsburgh isn't on the very top end, like some of those cities, but it's definitely being affected. But I think the big difference, though, is that some of those cities are still growing and Pittsburgh's not. Pittsburgh is not the the housing stock isn't growing here and it's just continuing to age. So I think even though our percentage is less, I can see how it might have an outsized impact. That's That's interesting. Good point. Yeah. The show today is brought to you by an incredible local resource, AIDS Free Pittsburgh, and their pledge to end the HIV AIDS epidemic in Allegheny County by 2030. If that is a cause that is close to your heart, make sure you're around for their biggest event of the summer, the sixth annual Too Hot for July. It is a party, but it is also a chance to get confidential HIV and STI testing for free, plus info on the incredible preventative medicines we have now to keep yins happy, healthy, and feeling your most confident out on the town. So come on out to Allegheny Commons East Park on Thursday, May 30th. Yes, July is in the name, but the event is in May. Don't get confused. May 30th from 4 to 10 p.m. There will be DJ sets, a health fair and marketplace, a ballroom-inspired dance battle, cash bar, food trucks, and more. Plus, a performance by Tony Award winner Alex Newell, a.k.a. Unique, from Glee. This is all thanks to True Tea Pittsburgh and so many folks doing the good work out here in the community. So do not miss out. Learn more at TooHotForJuly.com. So there are all kinds of corporations and investors that buy up homes like this. Um, I know a lot of them are annoying, but I am guessing that they're probably not all preying on people. Mm-hmm. What kinds of behaviors shift maybe a regular buyer into what we would maybe call a predatory one? Yeah, there are definitely some companies that acquire homes in less than savory ways. Um, and earlier this summer, ProPublica did a really incredible investigation into home investors. They're the group behind those We Buy Ugly Houses signs. You're right. I forgot about the ugly part. It's not just houses. (laughs) I mean, I think there's there's all types. But if you see ugly in the name, it's going to be home investors. Interesting. That makes me really sad. Yeah. And so, you know, you might... I don't know if you're familiar with, they've got that cartoon caveman mascot, Ugg. He's the one with like all this reddish brown facial hair. Are you familiar with this guy? I am not, but stand by. I am Googling it. I think you're going to recognize him when you see him. I do not recognize this guy, but I do not like him. This is not a trustworthy fella. He kind of looks like a younger, furrier Fred Flintstone. Yeah, a younger, furrier Fred Flintstone who you're supposed to trust your like most important family asset. He's with. literally holding a bag of cash, like yeah. an old school, I stole it from the bank, <laughs> money sign on the bag, bag of cash. Yeah. Um, so Homevestor is the group behind these signs. It claims it's the largest home buyer in the U.S. and it has more than a thousand franchisees all over the country. That's not something to brag about. Well, you know, they they say that they like help people out of jams, people who have 
ugly homes that they might not be able to sell otherwise, um, properties that no one else would buy, they're able to kind of offer them some quick cash up front and make sure that they're able to sell these homes. Um, and so, you know, they really, they present it as a positive thing. And they also say that they tell their franchise owners not to take advantage of people. Um, that includes like sellers who aren't actually able to understand the negotiation process that they're starting. Backup franchise owners, I... I think I thought maybe it was just some schmo in New York City or Miami that was buying these things. Like it never occurred to me that these were franchisees, like local people who are potentially screwing over their neighbors. Yeah, I mean, it's it's just like a Wendy's franchise, like anyone can buy in. And this ProPublica investigation found that Homevestors was actually teaching franchise owners how to, as the reporters put it, pounce on signs of distress. No. Um, and some franchisees were using deceptive tactics to target elderly folks, people who are ill, and people who are in really dire financial situations. So to really like go after especially vulnerable people. I really, really don't like the story now. Yeah, I mean, it's just going to get worse from here. Their reporting focused on one particular woman, an 82-year-old named Corinne Casanova. Um, she'd owned this house in L.A. with her husband. They'd raised three kids there. Um, and then he died, and eventually she was getting ready to move into an assisted living facility. So she sold her house to one of these franchise owners for about two-thirds of its actual value. But the thing is, she had dementia. Um, she'd recently had a neurological assessment where she couldn't say what year it was or what city she lived in. Um, and she often mistook her son for his uncle. So she was not really in a place to be selling a property. What happened to her? Yeah. So her son actually found out about the sale um, and he, you know, contacted this franchise owner, a guy named Corey Evans, explained that she had dementia and tried to cancel the sale. Um, but he said no. He recorded notices on the property's title that basically prevented a sale to anyone else um, and eventually filed a breach of contract lawsuit against the son. It kicked off this, you know, years long legal battle. And Corinne Casanova actually died less than a month after she sold to this company. Oh my God, her poor son. Yeah, so her son just like, as he was grieving her, was also tied up in this fight. Um, and, you know, eventually the company dropped everything because Evans, you know, the, the would-be buyer, um, became the subject of a criminal investigation related to his dealings with two other elderly sellers. Jesus. Yeah, so, I mean, I definitely recommend reading this ProPublica story. We're going to link it and a bunch of other reporting in our show notes. Um, it has other stories of franchise owners using aggressive legal tactics to prevent people from canceling sales once they realized they were being taken advantage of. And just lots of really damning stuff about how franchise owners are trained to find people in desperate situations. Um, Megan, could I read you a paragraph from the story that just really stood out to me? I don't like the look on your face. Yeah, I mean, it's a bummer, but it also feels important. Fine, I guess. This is, I'm quoting from ProPublica. Um, Up to half of a franchise prospects must be generated by its own legwork, what Homevestors refers to as dig leads. The company's training manual teaches franchisees to build relationships with those who interact with people in difficult situations, nursing home administrators, probate officers, divorce lawyers. It also instructs them to comb neighborhoods for clues of distress, water shutoff notices, police tape, boarded up windows, burn scars, and pounce on signs of desperation. If a family's belongings are on the curb, for example, the directive is clear. Quickly pursue the property where the trash pile indicates eviction. This is disgusting. 
Has Homebusters done anything like that here in Pittsburgh? Yeah. I mean, so just to be clear, this, um, you know, the woman that I mentioned, this happened in L.A. These are franchises all over the country. There weren't I didn't find any specific examples in this article about Pittsburgh. But I think, you know, this was one investigation into kind of the biggest or one of the biggest companies that does this in the nation. But there are, you know, groups like this kind of all over. And so I think it's important to be on the lookout for these kind of tactics and like be aware of what some of these companies are doing. Yeah, yeah, totally. Um, um, is there any upside <laughs> that we that we could talk about? So, I mean, I, yeah, I don't want to be totally doom and gloom here because reporting like this can have an impact. Um, apparently, even before the study published, um, when ProPublica reached out to home investors with questions for their reporting, it went ahead and banned its franchises from using some of those legal tactics to prevent homeowners from backing out of sales. That's great. I love that. Um, after it published this summer, two U.S. senators and the head of the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau called for more scrutiny, both of Homevestors and other companies like it. Um, and the Homevestors CEO actually stepped down too. Okay, that's actually great. Yeah. Um, so again, like this is one company, but there are others out there. Um, and after the ProPublica article came out, um, the PG's editorial board found a woman in Lawrenceville. She said that when her brother died, an LLC reached out to her mother who was in a nursing home and told her that, you know, his home had several liens and debts attached to it. And they offered to take care of all of that if she sold the house to them for half of its value. So she did. They flipped it for a 200% profit. And in the end, it turned out they lied about the liens and debts. So this kind of stuff is happening here, too. I hate it again. I hate this again. Yeah. And, you know, the PG noted straight up lying about debts like that is illegal, but it's not illegal for companies to try to push vulnerable people into making sales. I mean, I know sales is like a tough part of any home buying process like you and I can attest, but it's just this feels like a totally different thing. Like it's just it's such a different realm. Yeah. I mean, especially just like targeting vulnerable people, elderly people, people in nursing homes. Yeah. I worked in a nursing home. It was my first job in high school. And I just I can't imagine trying to like actively take advantage of folks like that. Like I know people do, but it's just infuriating. Yeah. So what else did you find? Well, when I was looking into all this, I found this interesting um, City Lab Bloomberg story about a tactic some flippers might be using in Pittsburgh. Um, the piece is from 2020, and it was written by a friend of the pod, Nick Kepler, who we've had on the show before. Woo-woo. Most recently, he was talking about this new trend of robo landlords. I forgot about that. Yes, love it. Some good housing coverage. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Nick noted that Pittsburgh is a pretty hot city for flipping houses. He found data showing that in 2019, we had one of the highest flip rates in the U.S. I missed that. I didn't realize it. How are we defining a flip here, though? Yeah, the criteria that study used was two sales of the same house within a year. Got it. Um, So anyway, he kind of zeroed in on this new tactic where it seems like some flippers, if there's a property they want and the homeowner won't sell it, they'll call 311. No. The city's uh, non-emergency tip line to report building code violations and try to trigger inspections. That is horrific. But I also thought, wait, I thought that 311 calls were anonymous. How do we how would you know that that's happening? Yeah, I mean, that's what's tricky is that callers can stay anonymous if they want to. So it's, it is hard to track how much this is happening. Um, according to Nick's story, when it comes to residential properties here in Pittsburgh, most code inspections are triggered by complaints. But, 
you're often not really going to be able to trace whether that complaint came from a flipper who's got their eyes on your house or just like a nebby neighbor who thinks that your chipped paint is an eyesore. Um, But in some cases, there has been some kind of trail leading back to an investor. So Nick gives this example of a housing attorney who does pro bono work for his neighbors in Lawrenceville. Which for a while, I feel like was maybe ground zero for house flipping here. Exactly. Um, So one of his elderly neighbors came to him for help because he'd gotten a code violation for some small infractions. Um, And this attorney found paperwork tracing it back to a developer who was doing construction on this guy's block. I guess he'd made an offer on the guy's home and then he made an anonymous complaint to 311. So what happened? Uh, the story doesn't actually no. say. <laughs> Nick. <laughs> Sorry, got to do a follow-up piece, I guess. Yeah, no kidding. Um, well, okay, so all of this is very grim. Um, you know, I was just looking at that PG editorial board thing that you mentioned. It was from June of this year. They asked the city to adopt a homeowner's bill of rights. Um, I love when editorial boards do that as if anyone's going to follow through uh-huh. with it. Um, but is anyone actually trying to regulate this kind of stuff? Yeah, I mean, that Bill of Rights specifically they were referring to, I think it's because they looked at our friends across the state in Philly. Oh. Um, A couple years ago, Philly's city council passed legislation that does several things, including requiring property wholesalers, so people who offer cash for houses, to provide prospective sellers with exactly that, a homeowner bill of rights. And that includes resources to help people who are struggling with issues like mortgage payments and home repairs and describes how they can get a fair price for their house. Um, That seems like the bare minimum. Seems like the bare minimum, but, you know, got to start somewhere, like at least have some form of protection. Yeah, I guess Um, so. And then the other thing is that these flippers, they have to provide this document at least three days before anyone signs a sale agreement. And the idea is to prevent these kind of quick on-the-spot sales that people are sometimes pressured into and maybe give folks time to consult with family members. Like if that woman we mentioned earlier had had a few days and maybe mentioned to her son that someone was trying to buy her house for cash, he could have stepped in on the front end instead of this years-long battle on the back end. Yeah, yeah, the gal in L.A. Um, And on-the-spot, when you say on-the-spot sales, do you mean like the all-cash, no-need-for-extra stuff that comes with I guess the what most of us are probably familiar with, like financing and banks and mortgage lenders and all of that. Exactly. Exactly. And, you know, I think that's that's a piece of this. Right. Is that for some people that is appealing, like maybe it's how you build credit for one thing. Yeah. How you build credit or maybe like a relative died. They left you a house that's in like really poor shape and is going to be tough to sell. And you kind of make this calculation that, yeah, you might be getting less than the value of your home because often these cash offers are for much less. But you but, can wash your hands of yeah, it and exactly. just be done. So so I think that the the important piece here is providing people with the information to make an informed decision to decide that they want to make that trade rather than kind of being rushed and pressured into a decision they don't fully understand. You know, folks who were pushing for this Philly legislation said a lot of times these are like heirs who've inherited homes from family members and really don't understand or know like the worth and value of their home. So they don't realize they're getting a bad deal. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I feel like unless you make a real study of Zillow and maybe like attempt your own comp analysis to other houses in the neighborhood, it's really tough to navigate that stuff. Um, Okay. So all of that is the local side. Um, We talked about this being a national problem. Is anyone else doing anything? 
Yeah. So at the federal level, there's a push to, um, as lawmakers are putting it, crack down on corporate investors that drive up housing prices. Mm-hmm. So this summer, Senator Sherrod Brown, a Democrat from Ohio, introduced something called the Stop Predatory Investing Act. Our own Senator John Fetterman, who still lives near here in Braddock, is one of the lawmakers supporting it. That's good. Um, and basically what it would do is that if an investor bought 50 or more single family rental homes, it would prohibit them from deducting interest or depreciation on those properties from their taxable income. That seems like a pretty low bar. Yeah. um, Like 50 houses. If you can afford 50 houses, I think you can afford the taxes on 50 houses. I know. I mean, I think that's always the thing where there's like, great that there's some move to try to create some form of regulation, but uh, how far does it actually go? Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, so basically this would restrict some of the tax breaks that these uh, investors get that give them a competitive edge in the housing market and, you know, put individual buyers and smaller landlords at a disadvantage. Totally. So, you know, that's definitely a bill to keep an eye on. And then something that, you know, probably can't be solved with a single piece of legislation. <laughs> Imagine that. That uh, feels important here. Yeah. It's just having more safety nets and programs in place that, you know, yes. prevent people from ending up in some of these desperate situations in the first place so that if they want to hold on to their houses, they can. Um, you know, the ProPublica story talked about home investors targeting people who needed to pay for medical bills or whose houses were on the verge of foreclosure. And we can try to regulate things on the back end so that when someone's in a tough situation, they're not taken advantage of. But, you know, can we prevent folks from ending up in those tough situations in the first place so that this isn't even an issue? Yeah, to me, that's the biggest piece of this, um, this larger conversation that we're having, but also, you know, a lot of maybe what affected our neighbors in Garfield is this is a systemic problem. And it it feels like, at least from the outside, that the system failed Mr. Hardison in multiple ways, way before the events of last week. Yeah. Mallory, thank you so much for sharing all of this. Yeah, thanks for having me on. That's all for today here on CityCast Pittsburgh. If you're liking the show, we hope that you'll let us know. You can get it our DMs at CityCastPGH on Instagram, or you can give us a call. That's 412-212-8893. We'll be back tomorrow morning with more news from around the city. Talk to you in soon. A younger Freyer fled. Yeah, a younger Freyer Fred. Yeah, a younger furrier Fred Flinsta. A younger furrier. Oh my God, what a tongue twister. Okay. <laughs> <laughs>